Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. So speaking of that, and even speaking of someone getting up and sharing that transformative reality of Christianity in their life, and how they've walked it out, and um, how they've even impacted complete and random strangers in our community and, and in other places, you know, the Hoff, the church, this church is a fight club. People don't know that. That's part of the origins of it. And um, the only difference is that it's not a club, it's a family. And it's very strange to some people, especially people that have been plugged into that religious machine so long. They come and they feel that different vibe. It's like, hey, I feel the absence of religion, for one. I feel the presence of the Lord. And I also uh, feels like these people are my family. And I think that was the beauty of last week's message, James coming in here saying it was going to be a church that was like Nickelback. I love that. (laughs) but he felt something different and you know I did a report in college my freshman year in college um, about a book and that that's actually turned into a movie that became incredibly famous has a cult following it's very controversial and it's called Fight Club and I, I, I do not recommend anybody watching it I, I'm not here doing that. There's a lot of just violence and vulgar things and perversion and stuff in it. But this, I mean, we're talking when I'm, this is 19, this is 2000 for me, 99, 2000, somewhere in there um, when I was doing this. And, and, and I was in secular school, obviously. We had this, uh, I, I don't even remember what class it was, but I was writing this report about this movie or book, you know, I don't know which one it was. It might have been a book that I watched the movie of, you know, who knows? Old Dan Turner back then, he was a little bit sketchier than this guy. Um, But anyhow, this book or this movie was about this club of people that would fight. They would get in fistfights and then they would become, but they were friends, it was a club. And it it developed this, this guy who started to see the world in such a way that it was like, hey, everybody's trying to be something in order to fit in but the things that you own end up owning you. You know, you're, you're in debt and people are, they're buying this, what they think will get them accepted, but they end up being owned by the machine and they're completely unhappy in life. And so he had this philosophy and he had this other philosophy that everyone should fight each other and you can't really know yourself unless you get in these fights. And so they started this underground fighting ring where they would, they would all get together and scrap. And the reality of it was, they would, they had this rule, this number one rule of the club, which was you're not allowed to talk about it. So it was, it was something secretive and they would meet in these secret places and get in these, these fights and, and they do all these wild things. And in this, they all came alive. They all came alive as men. And, and, and it's, like I said, it, it's a, it, it, it's a really a gross movie, but it had a cult following and I did this report on it, but so many of the themes of it, I remember thinking like, once I became a Christian, like, man, there's, there's some real connections there to what I see would be in the church. And I had this, I remember I was, 
I was at, we were at this church where I'd actually interned, and two of the leaders there that were pastors and, and well-known and would travel all around, and one of them had a big, huge ministry that was in Ukraine and the United States and still does. And um, they wanted to start these, these type of um, Friday night services. They're like, hey, maybe we do this Friday night service for our church, like somewhere in, in, in the downtown of the city we were in up there in the mountains. And they asked me about it. Like, hey, what do you think a church service should be like, especially on Friday nights? And I was young. I was 20, in my early 20s. But I was like, it should be a fight club. It should be a fight club. You know? And I had all these theories of the way Christianity and church should be. And I think my history of doing that report and watching that movie, that book report or whatever, it was like, hey, that, they're on to something. The church should be something that's so based on connection and fellowship with the Lord. And when it gathers, we should have this encou these encounters with Him, but we should actually have assignments throughout the week to manifest God in our regular life. And the only rule about it is, you don't do those things in order to be famous. You actually go out there and you share God's love and His light and His light and power, prophetic ministry, praying for healing, all, praying for sick, all these different things. And when we gather, we stir ourselves up in the encouragement of this faith. And those are the times when we testify of the things the Lord's doing, almost like a team. Instead of like a, 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 a football team or, you know, that kind of gets into a huddle and huddles around on Sunday and then says, break! And then, and then doesn't really do anything, we actually, we actually go and do stuff. And then we come back to the huddle and we celebrate. The worship is like celebration of all the touchdowns and all the home runs, you know. And so I was like, yeah, it's, gotta, it's gonna be like a fight club. That's what it should be. To which they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> Remind me not to ask that kid about any of this anymore, you know what I mean? Probably freaked him out a little bit, you know. Um, but they're like, that's interesting. And they ended up not doing it. They did one meeting and they quit. But, um, you know, but you can see the DNA of the church that I did start. You know, you can see the DNA of some of the ideas because uh, we understand these, these concepts of, of, of um, like Ephesians 4, that the, the apostles and the prophets and evangelists, pastors, teachers, the leadership titles of these churches, they exist for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Like they exist that the church is a place where we come together, we're rooted and grounded in the love of God, where we sink our roots into the depths of the reality of the Word of God so that we experience this mystical walk. And not only that, we're trained and equipped in the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit that are clearly laid out in the Bible. And to me, like, no-brainer, that's the way it should be, yeah? And probably some of you. But in my young mind, I was trying to grasp for these these, this, this picture of what it would look like for the church to literally be a training center. And not necessarily a fight club where there's violence in a negative way, but in a way that, hey, like, Jesus seemed awfully violent with the things that he would say. When he first men mentions the church, right? Matthew 16, like, Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed my identity to you, but your Father in heaven. And you're a stone, but I tell you on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
The first time he mentions church ever, he mentions hell in the same line. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's like his, his attitude was like, you start to see the plan of this fighter that was coming into the world and saying, I don't think so. We're coming for you. I'm coming for all the sons and daughters, and we're going to wreck shop on your show, on your systems. And that's what he was saying. I will build my church like your church. You mean your synagogue, right? Your religion, right? No, my church. What's that? An ecclesia, a word that wasn't even used. You know, this Greek word, this governing authoritarian word that, that talked about this group of people that would gather together with this governmental authority and issue dec the decrees of heaven. On this rock, I'll build this organization. And what will it do? The gates of hell won't be able to prevail. It'll be, it'll be directly in contrast to the gateways of hell in the world. I'm going to establish something with war in its DNA, with a fight in its DNA. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There's a violence to the whole thing. And it's not because I like violent movies, because I don't. I wouldn't watch that now, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not this twisted concept, but there's, there's these, these things we have. Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12. What does he tell him? He says... Hey, fight the good fight of faith. Like there's a fight, there's a war over belief, there's a war of faith that I'm called that God is calling you to come into agreement with what He has done, and actually arrest or destroy or wreck shop on the gateways of hell that have come into the earth from the fall. It was a it was a completely uh, different mindset that the disciples had, and that they understood walking around with Jesus. You know, and, and it was a fight, man. Today I'm going to tell you, speaking of being in Florida for a week, about this old buddy. They call him Joe Nathan. Have you ever known anybody with two first names? It's a sign normally. A two first name person is a wild person. You know what I mean? Billy Joe. You know, what I mean, I mean there's, there's, there's a double first name. Usually that's, like, that's a sign of somebody having a wild hair about them. Man, I don't know if you know about it. You know, it's, I, I feel like it's true. Maybe not with, with women. Betty Jo, you know, she's kind of country, but she might be wild too. But I don't know, there's something about Joe Nathan. Joe Nathan Wildman, the legend of Joe Nathan Wildman. The absolutely true story of Joe Nathan Wildman, which is also the legend of Joe Nathan Wildman. Uh, that I want to get into today. But I want to tell you, like, I feel like God wants people to have this mindset of not backing off from those things which are clear violations of his new covenant. You know what I mean? Maybe think about Jesus' little brother, James, his little half-brother, and the disciples getting beat up and then rejoicing about it, laughing about it afterwards. They had a different, they had a different mindset. The Apostle Paul saying, fight this fight of faith. Like, hey, like, war war over what you believe and establish the reality of heaven in the earth. And James, in James 1, 2, says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And it's just like, what? Count it all joy. Like, rejoice and be exceedingly glad about being, in, being tested and stepping into trials. In other words, consider adversity as a good thing. And like, we, you know, most people in the world, we don't like discomfort. 
We don't like to be uncomfortable. But the Bible's over here saying, like, count it joy when you, when you fall into a various trial because you know that the testing of your faith is producing patience, which is endurance. It is constance. It is establishing something in you. It says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, which means teleos, which means complete and whole. It's, in other words, like it's raising your weight class in the fight. It's giving you wholeness. It's giving you spiritual authority by going through these trials. And then you'll be complete, lacking nothing. Hmm. That reality, like you will be so established, you will be complete, lacking nothing. You will be so established in the reality of this covenant and the eternal domain of the kingdom that it will no longer be something you're trying to believe or that that you even are trying to have faith in. It will be your truth, your reality, and it will manifest according to your heart's desire. You know what I mean? And like that's something that the Bible was saying on constant repeat. Then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally without reproach and it will be given to him. I love that. As somebody that sometimes would feel the pressure of asking God, you know, sometimes people can feel the pressure like, I know I'm supposed to be getting this by now, God. Would you please help me? You ever feel that that sense of like, ah, I should have this figured out. I should be. And it's just like, hey, if you lack in wisdom, ask him. He gives it liberally and without reproach. He doesn't give it to you like, well, I'll tell you, but you should have known this already. You kidding me? You've been walking with me for 15 years and you don't know this already? You still tripping over that? Like, I love that sentence right there. He gives wisdom liberally and without reproach. It's not like, it's like he's, he's constantly wanting to give us the wisdom of heaven, which is the mindset to see trials and even adversity through the way that he sees them. Like, oh, thank, with thanksgiving and joy, like, hey, oh. This exists. Remember those disciples asking Jesus, like, who sinned, this man or his, or his, or his parents? He says, neither one of them. This, this is so that the kingdom of God will be manifest in the earth. What does that mean? That God struck him down? Like, no, 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 no. But Jesus had this mentality of like, hey, the darkness, it, it, it only is allowed to manifest or exist so that the light can shine through it. Imagine having that mindset with trials like, Oh, this must be so that I'm established in faith because this is a contradiction. Yeah. Instead of being a coward or like kind of a sissy, you know what I'm saying? And be like, oh, well, I tried to believe, but it just didn't work. You know, it must not have been. Or a theologian, like, well, there must be some translation. Why, that's not what the way Jesus meant it and all of his disciples meant it and the entire Bible means it on repeat constantly like a broken record. You know what I'm saying? Instead of being that way, it's like, no, there's something here that I'm not seeing, but I thank you that you're with me. Would you give me wisdom to see through your perspective because they're the ones on, on their heels, not me. You know what I mean? The gates of hell won't prevail. I'm going to knock on them. They're not going to prevail. They won't prevail, and I'm going to hold on to this. I thank you that you're building faith in me. You're establishing me in something more real. And we stay in this connection with him in whatever fight we are in. Are you in a fight right now at all? If you're a Christian, you ought to be. Or, like, or you ought to see them wherever you go. But most odds are that you are. You know what I mean? But we never run. We never turn our backs. Mm-mm. It's always forward progress in this life. Ask for that wisdom, and he gives liberally. And it says, but ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And that's what we just described. Asking in faith, it's like, no, you have to ask and believe in the will of God and 
lock yourself onto it like a, like a Rottweiler on a ball that won't let go and say, I thank you that you are doing this and I'm not going to take this trial as a sign that your word is not true. I'm not backing off. And that's how, that's how Joe Nathan was, Joe Nathan Wildman was. But, I mean, that's how we're actually called to be. And Jesus is like asking without doubting. It's like, hey, let your belief sink into the reality of what God's... See, Jesus is the will of the Father. He is the will of God, and he is God simultaneously. And he said, most assuredly, I say, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also, and even greater works than, he, than these will he do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, John 14, 12, 13, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Like, wait, what? Like anything that I want, and I say it in Jesus' name? Like, no, it's not witchcraft, so it's not an incantation. He's talking about in my name, in agreement with the name of the Lord, with who I am, with my person, with my mission, with my covenant. We understand this. You know, like in the Old Testament, the, the Lord, like, God would literally talk to like Moses and these guys and even Joshua about the angel of the Lord will go, go before you and he will drive out the inhabitants of that land before you, but be careful to do everything that he asks you for my name is in him. And the Jews, they understood this. this it wasn't an incantation. The name of the Lord was the full essence and the embodiment of Yahweh and who he is, his nature, his person, his decision-making, his, his heart towards people. It's like the name of the Lord is being aligned with the two person of God. And now we understand who the name is. The name was manifested with the title deliverer, Joshua, Yeshua. Like the, the name was, was manifested amongst us. Yeah. And he's like, if you ask anything in my name, in full agreement and alignment with this covenant, I've, I've demonstrated it. I've demonstrated it for three and a half years. We have it written for thousands of years. We learn to come into agreement with that which he agrees with. It's this brilliant covenant that he's made on our behalf. And we step into it. Jesus said, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. It's a funny joke, but it's like, hey, if I... If I believed if it was mine, I wouldn't be asking for it in prayer. Why would I ask for something that I believe I had? It's talking about coming into full agreement with the name, with the will of God. Just like the leopard, Lord, he, he ran up on him. Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You have the power, but I'm not sure if your will is lined up with that. What did Jesus say? I'm fully willing. I'm fully willing. Willing. I'm not wheeling and dealing. I'm willing. Sorry. I'm fully willing. And he manifested it. We have this brilliant covenant that's called, that's called um, this grace of God, the reversal of all things, all things new, that we're called to stand upon in such violence, really, and aggression against everything in this life, this temporary existence that we encounter. In order that the Father in heaven's name and will would be done and manifested on the earth. It's the prayer of Luke 11. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's like, let your name be separate. Like the name of the Lord is what's important being shown through the world. Because it's been, to so many things been attributed to his name, to his person that aren't real. You know, but it's like. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth. 
This prayer is a prayer of agreement and of partnership to manifest light over darkness in the world so that God's will is manifested. It's true. Because there's a covenant involved and we have this ability. You want to talk about Joe Nathan? It's a fun story. It's been about, I don't know, it's been 48 weeks since I talked about it, so I figured like I can do that again because I, I just... I just like it. So if you want to turn to 1 Samuel 14, we'll talk about it. But I'll tell you, Israel was not in a great state in the days of Jonathan. And Jonathan Wildman was, was wild. And basically, Israel was afraid of the Philistines. They were drastically outnumbered. But they had this beautiful history of combating the, the greatest superpower in the world at the time, which was Egypt by the power of God and following him. But they had this habit of kind of like what James is saying there in James 1, of being double-minded. They were unstable, so they would not always receive the good that God had for them because sometimes they would go into a different mindset and it would kind of push them back and forth. And in this time in the nation, they had just received a king, uh, basically because they had rejected God in a sense. And so they had this king named Saul who ends up kind of being a bad guy we know but in this part of the story, he wasn't fully all that bad yet. Made some pretty bad mistakes, but he was just, just not the right guy. But um, he was having trouble. But we'll start in 1 Samuel 14. That Israel is basically surrounded on several fronts by these Philistines. And they're absolutely terrified. Now Saul and his son, Jonathan, or, or Jonathan, some people call him Jonathan. They're the only ones with weapons. Yeah, I got a couple of y'all with Jonathan right there. That's fine. Come on, I can call him that. His real name is Jehonathan, right? So we're going to call him Jonathan. We might call, call him Joe Nathan, as far as I'm concerned. And I have a master's degree in this, so I'm just pretty much saying that's what I'm going to do. Um, but anyhow, so Jonathan, the son, had weapons, and Saul had weapons, but nobody else had any weapons. And they're surrounded by the enemy. And everyone's terrified. Everyone's afraid. Because they're very uncomfortable. And they've forgotten all the promises of God. They've forgotten like, hey, you're, you're like the people of God. And those stories of old, those weren't just legends. Like Moses and Joshua. Goodness, Joshua. All these Nephilim and giants and all these monsters. It's like, those weren't legends. Those were real stories. That's their real history. But they've forgotten those things. And become afraid because they saw the state of the world and the way it was. Uh, they didn't have much weapons. They didn't, so they, they weren't trusting in the Lord who is their strength. But if you look back in like Leviticus 26, God makes this promise with them. And basically, Leviticus 26, he basically says, don't make any idols. Don't bow down to any other God. Don't make any idols. Um, and that's basically the only thing he asks. Oh, keep my Sabbaths and, and reverence of my sanctuary. Walk in my statutes and commandments. I'll give you rain. You're, you're, you'll have produce. The trees of the field will sprout. They'll have fruit. Like you'll have blessings in your life as long as you fully go after me. I'll give you peace. And he says something interesting to them. You'll chase your enemies. And they'll fall by the sword before you. It's like, hey, if you just don't have idols. And you walk this walk that I've given you. You seek me first above all things. You will chase your enemies. You will never be chased by them. You know what I mean? 
It sounds like the gates of hell won't prevail. It sounds like all offense. It's like you'll chase them down. They want to come after you. You'll turn it on. You'll run them out. Take their land and their, and their, you know, it's like, listen, you'll chase their enemies. He says, five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies will fall by the sword before you because I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful and multiply you and I will confirm my covenant with you. So they have these words, they have this prophecy, they have this this promise of God, like, hey, you're supposed to be the victors in this thing. But they're in the state of like, it ain't working. But is it, is it not working? Or had they succumbed to fear and a forecast that they were not supposed to succumb to? Well, according to this story, that's what Joe Nathan thought. Joe Nathan Wildman thought that. And so what ends up happening is, it, said, it goes on, you know, Saul was sitting under a pomegranate tree, um, there was a certain man, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest, who was wearing an ephod. Um, but nobody knew what's, what Jonathan or Jonathan was up to. Because it starts off in 1 Samuel 14.1. It says, It happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come and let's go over to the Philistines. But he didn't tell his dad. So here's one man with a bright idea we're surrounded by thousands, way outnumbered, but also must have this other bright idea. Well, if a hundred of us could chase a thousand, if five of us could chase a hundred, it's like, man, maybe we just... So he speaks to his armor bearer, his, basically like a golf caddy, the guy that holds his stuff for him. Say, hey man, let's, let's go get into the thick of these, of these bad guys. And the armor bearer, whose role we are all called to play, Says, like, all right, man, let's do it. So it talks about where they went in 1 Samuel verse, uh, 4, 14, verse 4. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over the Philistines, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozaz, and the name of the other was Sinai. It's, it's funny, in some of the commentaries and in some of the language, those, thing, those words translate of so many different um, things. And nobody's agreed on it. But the one that I thought was hilarious, I think it was Adam Clark, but he, he calls one of them meant slippery, and one of them meant like a descent. Um, like, which kind of like, to me, like in our translation, like you walk in a slippery slope, boy. You know what I mean? It kind of sounded like that. It's, it basically means sketchy. Um, but... Maybe that's just for me. Anyway, so they, they went over to, the, to these, this place where these rocks were and faced where there were some, some Philistines that were encamped. And Jonathan says to the young men who bore his armor, Come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines, and it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many nor by few. Like, wow. This was the idea. This was Joe Nathan's idea. Like, hey, I got an idea. Let's go over there to these uncircumcised Philistines. In other words, we have a blood covenant with our God and they do not. That's the distinction that he's making with the enemy right here. They don't have a covenant. We do. And maybe, maybe the Lord's going to do something miraculous through us. 
let's just go and let's go put our feet in the water a little bit and see what it feels like swimming out there to them. You know what I mean? Let's walk over there and get in, get in, their, in their sights. But I love what his armor bearer says, because this is the Lord's Prayer in verse 7. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go, I am with you according to all of your heart. And man, what an incredible young man this armor bearer is. Because of all the things that he says, or that he could have said, like, hey, this is a bad idea. Hey, the king's going to be mad. We shouldn't do this. Um, this is foolishness. There's so many of them. There's not many of us. Um, the ESV, which is the, the, probably the best translation of the Old Testament, says, do everything that's in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. And it's just like, man, dude, that is like, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your, your will be done, not mine. If that is your will, I'm with you, heart and soul, man. So then Jonathan said, very well, let's cross over to these men and we'll show ourselves to them. If they say, wait till we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place and we won't go to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we'll go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hands and this will be a sign to us. And so think about the violence that's in this man's heart or the faith that's in Jonathan's heart. He's like, so what's our plan, Jonathan? He's like, we're going to step out in front of them and we're going to call out to them. Hey, we're going to show ourselves to them. All right, then what are we going to do? Well, if they, if they say, hey, we're coming, we're not going to run. We're going to wait on them and we're going to fight them. Yeah. But if they say, hey, come on up here, then we'll come up there and we'll fight them up there. <laughs> so which part of the plan is to get out of here, dude. Because those don't seem like neither one of them saying, hey, buddy. <laughs> neither one of them has a good exit strategy. You know, and it's just like, so it sounds like he was intent on like, I'm fighting these guys no matter what. If they come down here, we'll fight them and we'll hope that it's God. But if they call us up there, then we'll know it's God. That's a sign, man. We're going to go get them. But it's like, you guys can think about this. These these redneck Philistines standing up on top of this hill and, I, and the, 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 they come, hey, what's up? Get it, get some, what's what? You know, showing themselves to the Pharisees, I mean the Philistines, might as well. And, and the Philistines look down at them. Of course they're going to be like, hey, come on up here, we'll show you what's up. Of course that's what's going to happen. You know what I mean? And that is what happened. <laughs> so it's like, of course the armor bearer, he's already committed. I'm with you heart and soul. Whatever's in your heart, I'm going to do. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. How about being in heaven someday and seeing what that sentence really means? What did this look like? How did they show themselves? Did they just stand out calmly and be like, hey, we're down here? It doesn't sound like Joe Nathan would be that way to me. What did he do, you know? So they showed themselves to the Philistines and the Philistines started mocking them. Hey, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their little holes. The little holes they've hidden in. Then the men of the garrison called Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come on up here, we'll show you something. That's, that's New King James. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, 
come up after me. The Lord's delivered them into our hands. Let's go get them. You know, like, it's like, boom, that's our sign. I told you. Let's get it. You know what I mean? And so they charged up the slippery slope of a crag. You know, they went up. They had the disadvantage ground. They had the low ground. And they still charged up. to them. That, That's a sign we're going. You know what's beautiful is Jonathan. Jonathan actually means the Lord has given. That's his name. The Lord has given. I want to say, come on up here. It says, Jonathan, he says, the Lord has given them. He's delivered them to us. It's like his name meant what the sign he was taking from God. He's given them to us. <laughs> and that's what his name means, dude. So he literally goes after them. He climbs up on his hand and knee, hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And it says, they fell before him. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them all. So how, what a, what a violent, like, it's like, so he's got the weapons, but somehow Joe Nathan gets, gets around on all these dudes in such a violent way. It was about 20 of them at this post, but he gets them all submitted or subdued or knocks them out. I don't know what he's hitting them with. Maybe he had a sword and a spear. I don't know, but he just, he was just laying them down and the armor bearer was coming after him. Just shoot, just, just shoot, shoot, just putting them all out, dude. That's violent, though, isn't it? But it's the Bible, so it's still rated G somehow. Um, general audiences. But it's interesting. But this is such a prophetic picture for us following the Lord. You know, the ways of God are so much higher than the ways of man. And they seem so backwards or unconventional, leading people out into the wilderness with no food. You know what I mean? He would do things that would just mess his disciples' minds up. Like, wait a minute now, we shouldn't do it that way. We did it backwards. You know what I mean? And it's just like, no, I'm teaching you something different. And, and following the Lord is like being with your wild man friend who is, who is who's basically bent on violent aggression. But not in the way of you know, picking fights and doing naughty things. In the way of like, he has a really strong issue with the darkness that holds people back. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like that which holds us back. He doesn't like that which holds other people back. And he wants us to walk with him in such a way that he pulls us into situations or fights. Holding his sword, you know what I mean? That he sets it up perfectly for us to put the dang thing away. Yeah. Isn't that so funny? He climbed up on his hands and knees. Was he talking trash while he was climbing up to those guys? You just wait up there. I'm coming up there. It says that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half of an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among the people. And they also trembled. And the earth quaked. And it was a very great trembling. So Jonathan did something supernaturally. It set off a supernatural earthquake in the region. And it wasn't this huge ordeal. He didn't, like the judges, he didn't kill hundreds of people and put down, you know, bad guys. Um, but, he, but he finished off 20 of them. And an earthquake hit. And the watchmen of Saul, that were, everybody was back, back hiding and terrified, looked and said, hey, there's, there's a multitude and they're melting away. The Philistines are all completely and totally freaking out. Like, what's going on? And Saul's like, call Roland, see who's here and who's not here. And they, they called Roland. Jonathan and his armor bearer, bearer was the only ones not there. 
And Saul, Saul said to him, bring me the ark of God. You know, he's, he's still being religious, to be honest, because God was actually with Jonathan. And it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which, uh, which was in the camp of the Philistines was continued to increase. And Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And Saul and the people who were with him assembled and went into battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbors. And there was great confusion. So Jonathan and his armor bearer had set off something so incredibly profound that a supernatural earthquake hits and shakes the whole region. Not only that, the enemy starts turning on its own self. That cuts the thing down in half, like by itself, before you're even into the fight. It says, moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined Israel. And I, lo I love that verse. There was people playing for the other team. That something happened within them that's, that said, hey, wait, this is real. There was people that had gotten bitter and disappointed and be like, well, I've, I've, and they became the same mouthpiece of the, of the snake and they released all that, that garbage. But when somebody stepped up who said, no, we actually have a covenant, they don't, and I believe in this thing. This isn't the religious machine. I believe in this. This, it is, this is real and I'm not going to stop until it manifests in the world. And that woke up not only the sleepers, but the ones who had changed sides and were playing for the other team causing division. How brilliant is that? It's important. It says, like, likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they followed after them into the battle. And the Lord saved Israel that day. Is this brilliant, this brilliant, this Joe Nathan, wow, man, this Jehonathan, uh, this, this, the Lord has, has given. This reality that one person that believed something past tense had already happened shook the whole world. I should say one, two pierced them because two were fully agreed. And that's the point of this whole thing. That's the point of a real fight club. It's like, hey, the, the church actually exists for war. It exists that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail. It's not a club. It, it exists to actually do something, to break something. It, it exists to, to train and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. There's, there's, there's called to be service opportunities within it to grow and train in the spiritual gifting so that you train and practice and you learn it and you're rooted and grounded in the world, in the word. And then when you're in the world, you're, you're just as effective. But that effective uh, spread of light in life is contagious like a disease, but it's, it is the reversal of a disease that wakes people up and it causes people to glorify the name of the Lord because they see who he truly was. And you've got all these authors. You've got Peter, 2 Peter 1, you know, about talking about God who has given us, has given, Jonathan's name, has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's like this whole thing has been given to us. You've got the scripture we referred to with er earlier about the Lord Jesus saying this. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. It's like, wait, what? In other words, believe in the finished work in this reality. When you ask, you're actually coming into agreement as the armor bearer, you know what I'm saying, of Joe Nathan, of the Lord. You're coming into agreement with what he has said. My heart and soul is with you and I won't back down. And you're carrying that sword of the Lord. You're agreeing with something that's been finished since before the foundations of the earth. That's what's really going on there. That's what faith is and always has been. It's in the, I won't be long, but it's in the whole entire thing, dude. It's the evidence of the things that we hope for. It's the substance of the, 
things hoped for, the evidence of the things that are unseen. Like, how can that be? It's because like we've locked into something eternal and we've chosen to believe it, let our heart attach to it, let ourselves believe it and feel it and manifest it into this life. It's not a new age conference talking about manifesting. It's the Bible, you know, and people are stepping into it. But that's what Jesus said. It's about violence, man. Jesus said that in Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom has suffered violence, and the violent lay it by force. There's an aggressive pursuit of this reality that the enemy can't stop. And people will debate that scripture up and down, but I mean, it's hard to, because in Luke 16, 16, he says the same thing. But he says, the law and the prophets were until John. Dreadlock John. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And he told that to Pharisees. Like your rules and your regulations, you're not going to be able to hold them back from stepping into this. Your bad teachings that try to make them feel empowerless and just expect all, those, all that machine nonsense. The machine says all the faith is nonsense. Oh, you know, it's not, that's not what it is. We're too smart for that. You know, the kingdom of God already and not yet. All, all these clever things. That stuff's not for today. It's like, no, it's for today. It's for the here and now. It's for, it's for right now to somebody will have the... The violence of heart to pursue it, to chase after it, and to not let off of it. And Jesus said, when I, when I come back, will I find faith in the earth? Will, I find, will the Son of Man find faith in the earth? I've given you the sword. I've given you the belief. I've told you these things on repeat. And he's telling the Pharisees the same thing. Like you've been brainwashing people to feel like they're trying to work to get something they've already had. From the law of the prophets, they were until John. But now... The kingdom of God is preached and everyone's pressing into it. You're not going to be able to hold people back from this. You won't. You know, religion won't be able to. And that's the point of this day. Not a fight club. Which I love the rules of fight club. At least the first one. You never talk about it. The rule of fight club is you never talk about fight club. I've told several people that as far as church. Like, man, which is part of the DNA of the church. It's like, hey, what about, what if... We learn to walk in the faith of God in such a real way. We see His acceptance. We're rooted and grounded in His love for us. We know His Word. We're training in these giftings of the Spirit in such a way that we train and equip them here, but we are functioning in them on the outside of the church. You know? And, and we, we don't have to advertise a single thing about it. And that's the way we started this thing. It was like, we're not going to do any advertisement. We're not going to do any promotions. We're not going to, you know, send out little mailers with $5 Amazon gift cards. If you, you get a $5 gift card at Don Juan's, if you come to our church, first time visitor, you know, like, we don't do none of those gimmicks. Ain't going to blow up no dang slide and give hot dogs away for free at the park. You know, none of that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? What if it was truly the transformation of Christ within people, the hope of glory, which was the greatest advertisement of all things? You know? And obviously we have, you know, we have social media stuff and stuff now. And, and like Anthony was saying, we love when somebody, you like a message and you share it on social media or wherever to a friend. Like, absolutely. Bring people to church. Hey, come to my, yeah, absolutely. In-house. But it's not a plug. You know what I'm saying? It's life. And imagine if God grows his church. And so that was the, that was the concept there. But anyhow, but we're looking back at this thing. What is the point of it, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, like they saw that's the point of it. And, and the point when we look at Jonathan or Joe Nathan or Jonathan, however you want to say his name, right? The Lord has given. He's already released those things that you're asking for if they're in his name. 
That's the point. It's not that we're asking for something and believing that we have it, even though we feel like we don't. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're asking something in belief of what he's, he's accomplished so that we will walk that thing, that reality out in this world. And that's the point of faith. And there was something to Jonathan's armor bearer that his heart was so knit with him. And Jonathan's heart was so knit to the covenant and the word of the Lord. That's so prophetic for all of us. This your kingdom come, your will be done. Do all that's in your heart. I am with you. My heart and soul is with you. There's this yes in heart. There's this way of looking that comes back and it, and it even translates to, you know, to James, like counting it all joy when you encounter various trials. It's like, hey, everything here exists to establish the reality of the finished work of Jesus Christ and him crucified in my life and through my life. Yeah. And that mentality where it's like, hey, there's never a victim mind mentality ever. It's always victor because he's given it to us to implement it in the world. So I don't have questions for, uh, to close. So I'll just close with this. Um, do you find yourself, do you find yourself in a fight? You know what I'm saying? And is it possible, maybe it's not, maybe you're living this, but is it possible um, that we can take that James and pray for the wisdom to see it through a victorious lens, be thankful for it, and in relationship, the way Jonathan is our together, we can go together into everything with God. Like, okay, so you're doing something here. This looks like a storm, but you're actually doing something here to establish me. Yeah, let's get it. And in that perspective, begin to transform the mind into the faith that sees things that are not as though they are until they are. Thank you.